Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, Big Fish listeners. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Kelly Shoemaker of Ryan Companies. I'll tell you what, if you need a little encouragement and positivity in the midst of COVID-19 and racial injustice, then she is your gal. But just before we get to that, I have some exciting news about a new sponsor for the podcast, ATAP. The Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals is the only global, member-driven, not-for-profit representing all of talent acquisition. I actually joined as a charter member when Ben Gottkin and Jerry Crispin launched it with an all-star board in 2016. Plus, they had me at Global. I just didn't see any other professional associations recognizing the globality of recruiting at the time. And given my experience, that's really important to me. So in addition to webinars and original research, membership in ATAP gains you access to a curated body of knowledge on several hot topics in talent acquisition, including their professional code of recruiting integrity. They also advocate on behalf of our profession and foster an inclusive online community of all professionals who have talent acquisition responsibilities. So if you're not already a member, I would get right on that at www.atapglobal.org. In fact, if you lead a corporate team, look into a corporate membership so your whole team can benefit. You'll be really glad you did. Now, Kelly Shoemaker of Ryan Companies. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I am here today with Kelly Shoemaker of Ryan Companies, and we have a really fun conversation in store for you. I'm really looking forward to learning more about her and how she has made her way to the position of head of talent acquisition for Ryan Companies, which, by the way, is a commercial construction company. Um, They have a really interesting history and an interesting brand, and we're going to talk about all of that. But what I always like to do with my listeners is to give them a sense of the context in which my guest is working. So tell us just uh, kind of a little bit about Ryan Companies, their mission, their market position, and then your role as the director of talent acquisition. You know, I'm interested in your areas of accountability, how many business units, how many geographies are you responsible for, uh, number of hires annually, how many recruiters are on your team. So yeah, so give us the overview. All right. Well, Ryan Companies, I have to say, just to, to start, is an incredible organization. I, I've been with Ryan for four years. And in our world of talent acquisition, I've always said that I would have a difficult time doing what we do if I didn't believe in our brand. Ryan is a fourth generation family owned private company that has been in business for almost 90 years. We're based out of Minneapolis and we are much more than construction, which a lot of people don't know when you get outside of Minneapolis. Our cap markets team in-house development architecture and engineering group, which is over 100 people strong, and our construction services, including pre-construction and general construction. And then on the back end, we also have property management and building maintenance services. Now, in an ideal scenario, we can offer all of those to our clients as a strategic partner, but there are many times when we have all cart services that clients will to take us in and and participate with us in in that respect. Now, we have a very distinct focus on 
strategic sectors for our business. So rather than chasing work in a number of different areas, we focus on what we're really, really good at. The majority of our work is in industrial, senior living, multifamily, healthcare, corporate built to suit, and retail. And so you'll see that that is where a lot of our work has been and what has actually been very advantageous for us during this pandemic, because many of those sectors are thriving and not just surviving. Talking about kind of who we are as an organization, the culture, you know, it's so important to me as a talent acquisition professional, that's what we sell is culture. And if it was just something on the website, it would be very difficult to retain talent as well as attract it. So for me, the important part about Ryan is the people and what we have to offer the talent that we bring here. So the people are kind and generous and there's empathy and understanding and we're driven and motivated. And so it's this good balance of business side and humility. I have five recruiters and they are just actually spread out geographically as well as where they specialize. So we are divided into three divisions at Ryan. We have our Western division or central and our Eastern. And in addition to that, we have our regional offices in those divisions. So I currently have our recruiters structured so that one recruiter represents each division. How many hires a year does that represent? Typically, I know every year is different. Um, We do about 350 hires a year nationally. Okay. And a lot of diversity among that hiring, it sounds like. So people who are managing properties or people who are managing construction. And what about the people who are on the front lines? So for example, uh, where I live in Austin, Texas, you have a building going up about a block away from me. And it's so interesting to watch this building which I think is going to be a mix of residential and commercial. And it's beautiful, by the way. And um, so I'm, I'm always interested to see the big Ryan sign. Construction worker with a, a face mask walking by it at the time. Who hires those people? It depends on where we are at in the U.S. And it's union or non-union driven. So we do have some self-perform here in Minneapolis. But in most of our offices, we hire subcontractors. So we do hire craft workers as well. So it's a combination of subcontractors and Ryan employees who are craft workers. And then our superintendents, which we would consider professional field employees, what my John Tracy recruits for, um, that would be that level of talent. They oversee all of the activities on the job site. I have a particular special spot in my heart for craft workers. You must be familiar with Mike Rowe. Yeah. And his, his whole uh, push toward the, the dirty jobs guy and yes. his whole push toward helping more young people figure out that being a craft worker, being someone with an actual skill where you work with your hands, being in the trades is a fantastic option. Certainly a great option versus paying, you know, way too much for college education when college just isn't right for everyone. Anyway, shout out to to Mike Rowe, my soulmate. I just, I feel like, you know, his message ought to get out more and more and more. And it's great companies like Ryan who feed the need for people who are building something. It's really interesting you mentioned that because I've talked a lot with our hiring leaders about how we can get into influence much sooner than high school. I feel like it's junior high where these kids are starting to discover that maybe the four-year traditional college route isn't what they resonate with. And so um, I think if we get in front of the children in 
their senior year, it's almost too late. And they've been programmed to think that working in the trades or working as a maintenance technician isn't the route they're supposed to go. By the way, I'm not anti four-year degree. I am pro four-year degree, but I'm also pro let's find career opportunities for everyone, uh, regardless of what career path we think they should go. And I also think we need to recruit more women into the trades. There's a significant opportunity for women to be in the um, in the trades and in, in maintenance opportunities as well. You attended Kaplan University, and then you started your career in finance with a trucking and metal finishing company in Minneapolis. Am I right? Yeah, you are. That was so Very long ago. Cool. And then you moved over to marketing and advertising before pivoting to recruiting. So it sounds like you've been on quite an adventure career-wise. Tell us about how all that unfolded. Well, I'm going to give my dad credit because he was an accountant and he actually worked at that trucking company that I started at as his assistant and um, and worked my way through college. I, you know, it just came naturally to me and that's why I went with finance as a, a major and a profession for several years. And then I did get an opportunity to break into the marketing and advertising world in finance But because of the size of company I worked for, I always had a dual role of finance and human resources. And recruiting was a piece of that. And as I grew in my career, I took on more recruiting and I developed a passion for it. And so I was actually having dinner with a friend of mine who owns a a talent agency here in Minneapolis several years ago. And, um, and we just got to talking about, you know, what is it like to recruit full time on the agency side? And she was a vendor of mine. And so um, I already knew what she was capable of. And we ended up, I went to work for her. And that was my first opportunity in talent acquisition on the agency side. And so we had a lot of fun, learned a lot, um, made plenty of mistakes. Learned that I wasn't as good at recruiting as I thought it was. <laughs> it took a little bit of time to develop that. When you joined the agency and you were earlier in your career, what were those lessons learned? What were the surprises for you? Oh, well, it was hard. You have to hustle. You know, you have to hustle. You have to sell. I had more talent than opportunities available. And that was always a challenge for me because I had this great group of wonderful people that I wanted to place everywhere, but not enough clients to place them at. So there was definitely the high highs of success, and then the disappointment that came with not being able to help everyone. Seems like change of all kinds is accelerating. What changes have you seen or what changes have you brought to Ryan Companies since you joined them about four years ago? Um, When I joined Ryan in 2016, we had a much smaller human resources department And the two recruiters that were on staff were also HR generalists. So they had additional responsibilities outside of recruiting. And I was brought in to develop a strategy and develop the process and take what they've done and build upon that. And so in the four years, one of those individuals left the organization and another one moved into a full HR business partner role. And so I built a talent acquisition team from scratch. It has been so much fun, you know, hiring my own recruiters, recruiting recruiters is a a blast. But we have seen the numbers significantly increase in terms of hiring volume and then the numbers of agency engagement significantly decrease. 
So four years ago, we were engaging outside agencies to assist because we didn't have a full talent acquisition team. And the rate at which we were engaging was pretty high. I mean, it was about two and four searches um, that we would engage outside search. And as you can imagine, at that time, at about 130 hires a year, that was a lot of money for the organization. And so now, fast forward four years later, we're doing three times the amount of hires and 90% of those hires are filled with internal recruiters. So I feel like there's a lot of value that we're adding to the organization as a talent acquisition team because each of those recruiters are brand advocates. They're brand representatives. They are employees. And so we're recruiting our coworkers. So we're getting cost savings and higher quality candidates and um, in our time to fill, we're keeping that at, you know, 43 days. So we're keeping that time to fill down as well. Let's talk a little bit more about your career. Who was your favorite boss? And what would your team say about your leadership style? So both, you know, what's influenced you and how do you lead? It's so hard to pick a favorite boss because I, I actually have been very blessed to have some great leaders in my life. I want to say probably Dave. B.B. Hauser at Ultra Creative. And for a number of reasons, I was there for six and a half years in a very influential part of my life and my career, both, you know, as a mom and also kind of growing up in my career from the, the those 20s into your 30s. Dave was super fun. He loved Tom Jones and we had plenty of singing parties and, you know, advertising agency, right? So it's an open environment and um, and you know, we <laughs> not unusual to go <laughs> exactly. Like if I could sing, I would sing with you. What's new? Post again. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. So you can picture it, right? And he was just this cool cat, creative guy who had a vision and a dream and led this wonderful company. He was super generous. And but why I like him and respect him so much is because on my last day. He gave me some advice and I will tell you, Erin, I was so upset. Oh, wow. <laughs> this advice, but it stuck with me my entire career. Not upset with him, upset to hear the criticism. He said, make sure you work on your emotional intelligence, kid. Never stop working on it. Wow. And I have that has stuck with me my entire career. And emotional intelligence is so important and it helps us navigate some of the toughest, toughest things in our career. If I can delve a little further, how have you worked on your emotional intelligence or what form has that taken for you? Well, I read a lot. I've read so many great books. Leadership and Self-Deception is one of the ones that I have just I've read it several times, actually leading a book club for our Women's Inclusion Network right now, a little more lighthearted, but still motivational and helping you kind of check yourself is uh, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. Mm-hmm. And I uh, admittedly, this is probably the fifth time I've listened to that audiobook because I just take something more away from it every single time. I've had great leaders and mentors who've helped me put that emotional intelligence into perspective, maybe on a specific topic or on kind of life where I'm at in my life and my career. So I'm very grateful too. Well, let's talk a little bit about the impact of the coronavirus on your role and how you're working perhaps a little differently. Also, the recent injustice of George Floyd's death 
at the hands of the police, unfortunately, right there in Minneapolis where you are. You know, in times like these, leadership takes center stage. And I'd just love for you to talk about how that has played out in the Ryan environment and how you've handled those issues with your own team. It's been a really hard time. You know, some people are coming out of the pandemic feeling like this new new life and re- they're, they're now the butterfly from the caterpillar. And there has been an element of that for me. But George Floyd's murder hit me really hard, yeah. partially because it's in my backyard, but because I think for the first time we saw it happening undeniably on camera and as a result to see the destruction in the city and the sadness just the sheer sadness of people who need a voice and now on on the more positive side seeing the awakening both with our communities but with the government and law enforcement and and leadership and speakers coming out everywhere and great education coming. And so it's just, it's been an emotionally trying time for me. And I think Ryan has handled it really well. How I have handled it with my team as I've leaned in and supported each and every one of them where they need to be supported and just listen, empathize. And when I can't understand, I acknowledge that I can't understand, but that I stand by you and with you. And Black Lives absolutely matter. And I've used my voice and social media to make sure that that is 100% obvious. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, so both internally within Ryan and externally with my family and the community and the, the world at large. I mean, LinkedIn is the world at large. So I think that this has been the most trying time for my leadership because as a talent acquisition professional, we've seen a pretty significant scale back in the requisition fulfillment mm-hmm. volume. And what we've had to do is focus on staying connected both within our own team, but with the talent communities, being respectful of the fact that people are hurting, looking for a job because they were furloughed or laid off. Um, There's just so many people factors right now that we could have never fathomed. And it has changed the dynamic of talent acquisition. It's not about just sending a quick message to someone on LinkedIn and having that dialogue to get them on board. The conversations are longer and they're more genuine. And we're really getting to know the talent. So it's been the hardest of times, but also really the best of times to see the kindness in people and the genuineness. Thank you for sharing that because I think it is an unfortunate reality of life as we know it, that it takes something awful to wake us up and make us pay attention to what's important. And I think we've had a lot of that in 2020. It, it has been an opportunity to show what we're made of. And boy, would that it wasn't. You know, I, I really wish we could show ourselves, show our true colors when things aren't so awful. And so thank you for that. You know, speaking of using your voice, I love your posts on LinkedIn. You mentioned them. They're really very unique, usually some insightful sayings that you have found somewhere with images to uplift those who read them or even talk about the hard truths of our time. 
you know, I'd like to read a few of your more recent ones. You posted one not too long ago that says, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. So true. A little bit longer one. If What if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw, it, that it finally forces us to grow. Exactly to your point earlier. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. Wow. That's a, a much more positive perspective. I love it. I, um, because I think we'd all like a do-over. But what if we take it for what it is and use it for what it needs to be used for? A little on the lighter side, comparison is the thief of joy was one of your posts recently. My and favorite quote of all time. Comparison is the thief of joy. I love that. And then you don't always need a plan. Sometimes you just need to breathe, trust, let go, and see what happens. That's a Mandy Hale quote. Say more about your desire to encourage through LinkedIn and other social media. And what is your source? What are your sources of all that great encouragement? Well, first of all, I feel like you bring about what you think about. If you put negativity into the world, that's more of that's going to come your way. I've chosen to put positivity into the world because I feel like that brings more positivity and more things to be grateful for into my life. So it's partially self-serving, but it's more importantly, I'm putting it out there to hopefully inspire someone else to see things from a, a different perspective. You know, I think what a lot of people share on LinkedIn is content. So links to videos or news articles. And while I do some of that, I also think just a quick Monday motivation is something that can really start off someone's week. Or if they were in a bad place when they came upon that 2020 quote, which I'm sure many of us have been, it's been a roller coaster. So we've had great days and bad days. Um, but if they were in a bad place, I hope they saw that message like I did and really reflected on how powerful that is, how we can bring positivity out of bad circumstances and how we can look forward versus backward. So I think that that, that is what motivates me. And a lot of people reach out to acknowledge it, not just you, Erin. It's been really fun to have people reach out to me and acknowledge it and then maybe ask for perspective on hiring or talent or, yeah, it's been fun. It comes from an authentic place. And yet, interestingly, it also becomes your brand. Ought to be authentic. All of the branding specialists tell us, right? Yes. Authentic yeah. for you it is, but, but it, it does project who you are. And it becomes your brand. So having spent time in advertising and working on your emotional intelligence, I'm kind of seeing some convergences here of, <laughs> of all that. How does that affect your perspective on the Ryan employment brand? How do you kind of fuse all of your influences to be able to further the brand? And let's call it the whole candidate experience and brand for the Ryan. You know, the most important thing for me is that we are creating the best candidate experience possible while finding the best talent available. So I want to make sure that the talent that we bring in 
is going to stay. And I want to make sure that when they get there, that the talent that we already have feels like we've made a good choice and a good decision to continue to grow our business forward. Our organization is inclusive. We are trying to make sure that everyone at Ryan has a voice and a path and that we're bringing diverse talent that comes from different experiences, different genders, races, religions, all of it. Because if we hire exactly the same person over and over and over again, what is the definition of insanity, Erin? To keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So no, we can't do that. We have to make sure that you know, we leverage the, the, the things that we know that we can be successful at, like our sectors and our business solutions, but that we bring in diverse talent and create an inclusive workplace so that they can thrive. So for you, it is a conjoined exercise of sourcing the right talent, ensuring diverse uh, perspectives, and then creating that candidate experience that's going to make them want to join once you find the right people. Yeah. And then I think onboarding is is incredibly important, not just day one, but that we set them, our new talent up for success throughout their first six months of employment and beyond. But I mean, I think you are at high risk of losing your talent in the first six months if you just kind of wing it. We put a communication plan in place a few years ago where we check in, every recruiter checks in with their new hire for the first six months. So at one week and one month and three months and six months, and at the five month mark, we're going to their manager to see what their perspective is so that we can come to the six month mark and say, okay, happy manager, happy employee, nice. happy hire. Yes, exactly. And the holy grail of quality of hire in, in some cases, if you want to call it that, is to match up that manager feedback with the assessment that we made of that candidate before we hired them. Is that a bridge too far for Ryan? Or is there any chance you guys are doing that kind of connecting the dots on how they turned out and how we thought they would turn out? Yeah. Well, of course, in their employee reviews, we're looking at the competencies that we had expected that the talent would have. And so I think the six month review and then that first year formal annual review is that critical period where we need to assess exactly that. Mm-hmm. Is this what we wanted out of this hire? And, um, and you know, how do we move forward if it's well, not? I would imagine the beautiful thing about you using a standardized attest- assessment approach is that you have the documented objective feedback prior to hire. So you can literally make some correlations there. You know, we all have our failures. Most of us don't want to revisit them. I know I don't. Is there one that you're willing to share that could potentially help future talent acquisition leaders? What, if any, mistakes have you made that you sort of would like to help others avoid? Yeah, I've made many. Thankfully, none of them have been career ending. Uh, I actually believe that some of the biggest failures that I've had in my career have resulted in me coming up with some really great successes. And so instead of talking about a specific failure, I'd like to talk about what it was that I did and what you have to do to take and fail forward. So I think the critical piece is you have to be okay with admitting you're wrong 
And in order to do that, you have to get out of your own way. So as leaders, I think we, well, we have to, we come up with ideas and we sell them through and their strategies that the organization either embraces or dismisses. But if we want to be successful, we try to sell the strategies in and, and move them forward. Sometimes our strategy is wrong and we may not realize it because we're so determined to make it come to life. When you hit a roadblock, whether that's another hiring leader challenging your perspective or someone literally telling you, no, that's not what we're going to do. Instead of digging your heels in the sand, I think it's important to come back, take your emotion out of it, emotional intelligence check, and look at things from the other person's perspective and how they might perceive. And sometimes they don't even know what the answer is. They just know that whatever you proposed was the wrong one. And so, (laughs) so, but the key is don't let your confidence become an inhibitor of your success because you can come from a collaborative perspective and get to the same or better result. But let me grab on to your point about confidence. Don't let your confidence be the barrier to your success. I completely agree with that because pride goeth before the fall. But for women especially, I think what I see more often than not is not overconfidence, but a lack of confidence. So talk about that from the perspective of being confident enough to have the courage of your conviction and be able to stand firmly on a point and yet not die on that hill. Mm-hmm. Or cry while you're trying to get that point across, um, right? <laughs> but it does, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Advice that I give to younger female employees who are developing that voice and that confidence is be true to yourself. Be confident that your idea has merit. Be respectful above all when you're delivering the message. And a skill that I have learned over the course of my career is to help leaders come to an idea that they believe is their own. And I'm not saying this in a manipulative way, but you have to get buy-in in order to sell something through to the top. So yeah. if you just, if you come from a tell versus have you thought about, it's a different approach. Okay. Have you considered can get you a lot further than I think we should do this. So the ask versus tell orientation you found mm-hmm. is a emotionally intelligent technique to be able to get the buy-in that you need. And in some cases, the um, not just buy-in to an idea, but maybe literally a slight twist on the idea. Mm-hmm. That have you thought of is different from what you what I thought. You know, they add their perspective. We change it a little bit and then go forward, and then we both benefit. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's important too for women to find advocates, particularly if they work in male dominated organizations. So, if you have an advocate in a large group of high level executives who will maybe prompt the group to consider an idea or inject while the group is talking and say, but what do you think? It's important to have, to find those allies and those advocates who can help you have a bigger voice. The meeting before the meeting, is that what you're talking about? Sort of bounce something off of someone with more influence than you. sow the seeds of an idea, ask for maybe literally ask for their help in bringing the idea to the fore. I see no fault in asking for help. I think it's, We all need help. 
if we take a gender aside, everyone needs help in their career. We've had the mentors, we've had the people who've guided us or who've given us the advice that we didn't want to hear, but that served us very well in our career. So I think asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is recognizing that you can't do it alone. Words of wisdom, (laughs) for sure. Kelly, this has just been a fabulous discussion. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom, your insights, your humor, and emotional intelligence. I think that's the theme of our conversation today. You know, appropriate emotional intelligence for our times. Really, really helpful for me and I'm sure for our listeners as well. Is there anything else that you want to make sure um, my listeners know and or any other advice that you would give to the 24-year-old Kelly Shoemaker who at the time had no idea she would someday be a head of talent acquisition? Yeah, that's actually true. I knew I was going to be the head of something. I just did not know that it was going to be talent acquisition. So I think think it's so important to dream and to look ahead and to set big, scary goals that seem impossible, to work really hard, um, never stop giving it your all. Don't get defeated when you do have failures, because as I've mentioned, some of my biggest, what I consider career failures have led to the biggest successes right around the corner. You know, I'm so grateful to work for Ryan Companies. Our leadership is incredible. The way that they have handled both the communication and the empathy and the care for our employees during this time has been unbelievable. The genuineness, the compassion is oozing from Ryan Murray. And when you pick a company to work for, it's not about the job. The job is just the execution, the where, the who, the what, the reason behind what you do is more important than the activities of the day-to-day job. And so you have to appreciate and respect the people that you do that with and the company that you do that for. And so when you find that kind of euphoric state of, I love my job and my company, and this is the place that I want to be, that's when you know you you've arrived. So 24 year old self who has no idea what the future holds, just keep your mind and your vision moving forward, but enjoy the moment and never stop working hard. Outstanding. I love it. Thank you so much. Great, great advice and words to live by. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's a pleasure. It's been fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com. 